Film Society of Lincoln Center, you're listening to The Close-Up. Alfonso Cuaron's Roma is nominated for 10 Oscars at the 91st Academy Awards, airing this Sunday. The film was also the centerpiece selection at the 56th New York Film Festival, where the 70mm version had its New York premiere. During the festival, Cuaron joined festival director Kent Jones via Skype for an in-depth conversation about Roma and his career in general. Let's go to that now. How you doing? I'm good, thank you. And uh, thank you for making this happen. I know it's a little awkward, like the big screen and I'm there. And, uh, but we'll make the we're gonna make it. it work. It's going it's to be great. great. That's right, it's gonna be amazing. Um, Yesterday, uh, on the stage for the, um, the, the press screening, um, you were uh, asked a question about the film, the subject of the film, and about you know, the women in the film being stronger than the men. And your answer was very much, you know, I, I just sort of wanted to jump in from the answer that you gave and the spirit of it, which was that you weren't thinking about anything thematically like that. You didn't have that kind of program that the film grew out of something else. Yes, uh, um, by that I said, uh, I meant that there was not uh, uh, a political agenda or, a, or intellectual, uh, intellectual agenda about things. There was, it was clearly among the things that I work with, uh, there were thematic elements, elements that I, mean, I was intrigued with. Uh, but it was more about trying to dig into memory um, and uh, through this experience of memory, trying to uh, uh, figure out the existence of this woman. Uh, I, and this is the interesting thing. At the beginning, I was not even aware that it was going to be about the existence of these women, because uh, Sophia plays also like uh, as an important role as, as Cleo. Uh, the point of departure was everything, all the time Cleo. through the prism of memory, but also memory seen through the prism of today, of my understanding today. So uh, I was, and it was almost like, uh, the writing was almost like free association in the sense of, um, I was just throwing what it felt right, and then I never revisited it again, and never questioned it again. Uh, it was kind of an irresponsible process, if you might. But when you were filming, did you rewrite and did you add scenes? Uh, no, not, not really. Uh, it, only, I mean, some scenes would adapt because of the situation and also because of, if, the, if the whole idea was to capture the truthfulness, also you have to honor the truthfulness of your performers. And sometimes your performers are, are uh, just by, by, by being who they are, they are uh, delivering and offering you something that is different than your preconception. And then you have to go with that. Uh, and uh, yeah, there were a couple of things that I tried to experiment, uh, additional scenes, and they didn't make the cut. You know, uh, so it was pretty much, we shot the screenplay, uh, that by the way, nobody had the screenplay except myself. Uh, but, um, uh, and, and there was, uh, certain amount of elaboration. I mean, if we were going to shoot in the shantytown, there was a huge amount of research about how the shantytown looked at that time. Now, by the way, is, that shantytown is, in, is, is a huge, huge developed area. But uh, on those days, it was this place full of mud and water. And so we did a fair amount of research. And because of that, then we included the politician. So yes, you can say that scenes would develop as we were going on, but in the frame of, of, of what was already there. I want to, at this point, just ask the audience, how many people here have seen Roma? Okay, pretty, that's, that's a good majority. Um, that's, that's great. Um, just to return to something that you just said, the moment of shooting and the action that you're depicting, it's your memory, but as you said, it's the now. For instance, yesterday you had said that you were not shooting in a nostalgic black and white. It was a different kind of image that you were going after. 
So really, you're marrying two nows to each other, the moment of shooting, the truth of the actors at the moment of shooting, and then the now as you remember it and as you're recreating it. Yeah, I guess that was the process. Uh, what, what you're referring to with the, with the black and white is that uh, it was clear from the beginning <clears throat> that the film was going to be in black and white. But it, it, it was very important that, that it was not going to be a nostalgic black and white or a, or a black and white that tries to emulate those, that beautiful black and white of the 40s and the 50s that was still in use during, the, uh, during the, some period in the 70s. Um, but a digital black and white, a modern black and white, 65 millimeters, pristine, no grain. Um, uh, in, in other words, a look that would have been impossible in 1970 or 1971. Um, uh, but the same thing was about revisiting that past. It's impossible. I mean, you can all, only approach your memory from the standpoint of who you are today. And so I didn't shy from that. I didn't shy from my understanding of what, 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 how you understand the world today. Uh, my understanding of the events, historical events that took place, and my little understanding of the emotional dynamics and the affective dynamics that were going on in my family. And actually, that, that is the part that it was... <laughs> it's so funny how somehow, in terms of social movements, it's because it's much more uh, documented, uh, you can have a, a better clarity than the actual emotional dynamics in your own family. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and for me, this film was a journey of discovery of that thing as well. Mm -hmm. And you actually, um, actually Guillermo del Toro was talking about this when he introduced your film at the, at the screen he should, today. He should introduce all my films. I know, he's fantastic doing it. Yeah, <laughs> he was great. He got a great big round of applause. It was a, it was a great surprise for people. And, um, he was talking about the fact that you actually recreated uh, blocks of Mexico City that are gone now. Yeah, the, the, the thing, and, and that, that's related to, the, to, 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 to this theme of the pre, uh, looking at the past from the standpoint of the present. Uh, while I was writing and I was describing all the, all the scenes, and, and, the, and the, the screenplay is very, very detailed um, because I was trying to to, to put in words all of this stuff that I was rescuing and recovering from my own memory. But then I was confronted with reality. I was going through the, to, through the city, uh, looking for the corner that I'm referring in the screenplay, and I would see a place that was absolutely transformed. And a very strange dynamic happened there because I, I was working with a Mexican crew in which I haven't been living in Mexico for a long time. Uh, I, I visit very frequently, but never with this awareness of, of, of places. But what started happening is that for the crew, that corner was their present. And for, for me, was that corner was what it was not anymore. You know, and, uh, and that was, a, actually it was kind of trippy, that whole, that, that whole process of reconciling, uh, with me, a city that for me is filled with, the, with past, uh, surrounded by people that that city was their present. And uh, because I wanted, first of all, I wanted to honor in the film time and space. Time in terms of the flow of time and space as the places where these things took place because ultimately time and space are the things that constrain us, constrain us. but also is, in this experiment of life, time and space, they bring us together, you know, create these, uh, these bonds uh, and, uh, and these, these uh, yeah, these, these bonds. And they, uh, I wanted to shoot in the places where the action actually took place originally. And we did that mostly. I mean, the, the house, original house was so transformed that it didn't make sense trying to shoot there and, and, and transform it back to what it was because we found the shell of another house that was exactly the same dimensions. And uh, we just uh, reproduced the house by the inch. 
with uh, the tiles and we recover 80% of the furniture and so on. Now with uh, the Hacienda is a Hacienda where, 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 the Hacienda, where, where, where those things happen in real life, the fire and so on. Um, and even the, 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 the massacre is shot in the place where it, it actually took place. Uh, nevertheless, there were certain places that they were so transformed uh, that it was impossible to to uh, to just uh, to to try to to retransform it. I mean, Eugenio Caballero, the production designer, who had done before, uh, you, you may know him for Pan's Labyrinth or the impossible. Uh, the impossible. He um, he he uh, he did an amazing job bringing back that set, that Mexico City in the 70s. But there were like avenues that were impossible to transform because. Mexico City is a city without any planning, any urban planning. So the way that it's transformed is completely uh, out of control. And so, yes, like, for instance, when they go to the, to the cinema, uh, uh, all the family goes to the cinema, uh, all those blocks that were very fresh in my memory, uh, we have to rebuild. We, we have to, it's the biggest set that probably I have ever built. And uh, we did it out of memory, and also the reference that we get we got from from photographs from the period, and it was very touching to see older people arriving to the set and crying, you know, because the the place really took them back to the way it was. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was very laborious this whole thing of of either shooting the place in the places that where it took place or creating the spaces, but uh, making them look identical to, 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 the, to, to the way they were. And a, and a big part of that um, is the sound. You know, you just mentioned the, um, the movie theater, the sound of marooned, you know, of in bouncing around the great big movie theater, something that, you know, a lot of younger people haven't had that experience, but also acoustically, but also just the sound throughout the entire film, you ha you're so aware of an entire world beyond the frame. Uh, it's uh, quite amazing. Yeah, it was important to place audiences in the space. Yeah. The whole idea was not to give answers. You know, I, I don't think it's a film that when, when people refer to it, if, if it's a statement about this or that, yes. I think that is that th those are the, the individual members of the audience projecting their own... Um, their, their, their own thematic concerns. Uh, I, I think that the film itself doesn't deliver any answer. And, and uh, the, the gamble was to place audiences in those spaces and for them to take their own conclusions. Mm -hmm. And for that, sound was very important. Uh, that, that scene of Maroon that you're talking about, uh, uh, besides, besides trying to reproduce the quality of that optical sound projected in a scratch uh, print in a big theater. Uh, we in the surround, we also had uh, that maybe for some people it's annoying because some people turn to try to shut people up, but there's people whispering and people eating popcorn, you know, around the, uh, uh, around the, in, in the whole speakers in the surround. And part of the thing is that also because as we were approaching this from the standpoint of memory, uh, the visual aspect is only one part of memory. Uh, memory, in many ways, is triggered by many other things. I mean, uh, taste and, and smell probably trigger memory more, triggers memory even in a deeper way than, than the visual aspect of it. And sound, un uh, unquestionably, is the same. So we wanted to try to, same as with the, with the, with the, the visuals, we were trying to honor those spaces uh, with the sound, we went trying to put audiences in those places. Um, I think that you, you uh, had also said that you were making a film. This is a film about a very specific person um, in your life, Lido, who was here um, yesterday. Yeah. And... Um, that you were, that some of it was, you know, you didn't, some of your process was imagining what was happening in her life when you weren't around. That's, the, 
I take it that that was a big part of the writing process to try to fill in these moments in her life that she hadn't shared with you. Well, she 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 filled those 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 blanks in in yes because for for a long time I was speculating yeah and and that was the interesting part of the process of uh, when I was mentioning how we when we do a historical or social research we have more resources that sometimes with our own family and it is because we give people from for granted mm-hmm. you know we we consider our parents our parents our siblings our siblings. We know their flaws and their virtues, and, and we have those little family judge, judgment attitudes to each other. But we never really stop to consider them as individuals. Mm-hmm. You know, as individuals, meaning uh, men or women with different complexities. And the process of, of talking with Libo, uh, who's the, the, the real life person who, uh, uh, from whom the character of Cleo is based upon. And Talking with her, uh, because I was, she would tell me, describe stuff of how he, he was her routine at home. And it makes sense because a lot of that I could, I, I experienced, I was there. And I knew the spaces. What it started to be very interesting is her life outside that house. And is when it started really, in a very shocking way, to make evident that we come, even if we are a family, I have members of my family that, become, that, that come from a completely different microcosm. You know, that, that they've come from a, she comes from a completely different social class, uh, from a completely different ethnic background. And also she's a woman with her needs, you know? And, uh, and that, was, that was painfully complex because in one hand, you feel you, you know her better but by the same token, you feel very crappy that you have given her for granted as just this person that loves you without seeing uh, many shades inside her. Inside mm-hmm. her. But that was, uh, must have been a very freeing thing for you, ultimately. Well, I hope it will be eventually. Oh. <laughs> you know, <it's>, uh, <laughs> because the process of, you know, it, it was... It was all these years just revisiting my past and going into the same spaces and 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 casting people that they were doppelgangers of the of the original ones and dressing them like such and uh, shooting in my in my childhood street with the cars that were parked and the extras that there just look alike of the neighbors uh, at that time and you know eventually and and at the beginning of the process I was just so concerned about getting the things right, you know, making sure that the car that is going to be parked is exactly the park that was the Peugeot, is the, the, the green Peugeot that was parked there, mm. you know. And sometimes it's difficult to get like a, a 1967 Peugeot, you know, and, and you're, you're so concerned about getting the elements. And when you start shooting, you just, you just uh, the first couple of weeks, you're just, trying to make sure that all elements are in place and see what we, you still have to, to, to tighten. You know, if the, the house is looking perfect, but maybe there's something that I'm missing and there's still time to fix. But there was a point in which the flow of the shoot start to, to go on because we shot in absolute continuity, right. a, a chronological continuity, that then everybody was... As nobody had the screenplay, everybody was learning the circumstance of the characters day by day, including the actors. And, uh, and you could see uh, their emotional engagement with that. And it was impossible for me not to relate back to my own life. And I wish I could tell you it was liberating. I don't know yet. I think it was intense. Mm. Uh, it was creepy at some points. And... Uh, yeah, and ultimately, I think it's for the best. But yeah, it was, yeah, the word maybe is creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Can you talk about the, the, the shooting in, in chronological order is a very particular way of making a movie. And, you know, it's, it's uh, and, and, and also to um, withhold the script from the actors. Um, can you just talk about it specifically in relation to this movie? It makes Absolute sense, and I'm just wondering for you, 
why that was such an integral part of the process. Look, I have read and, 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 and seen interviews with filmmakers who have done similar things in the past. I mean, it's nothing original in this film. And, uh, and I really didn't see the point of it. You know, I thought, okay, this chronological thing, I mean, as long as you're clear about what you're going to do and you're clear with your story and you're clear in your moments, it doesn't matter if you shoot out of order, if you have good communication with your actors. Uh, same as I would read uh, uh, Dreyer, the director of John of Arc and the, the Passion of John of Arc and, and, and Odette, that uh, he would go uh, to paints to, in, in John of Arc, that is a silent film, to have the actors actually reciting the original text, yes. even if you would not hear them, you know? And it, they, were, uh, they, they were just, their dialogue, the dialogue was the original text of the trial. Um, or you will hear of Visconti in the Gatto Pardo that he had, the, or Ludwig, uh, that he had the cake, the, 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 the cake in the party that had the original recipe of the original cake. You he know, also had the right like clothes in the drawers, in, in the leopard, Burt Lancaster's clothes yeah. in his drawers that, you know, you never saw. Exactly. This is the leopard. Like, also, is the, is the cake in one and the, in the leopard is the, yeah, the, all the clothes and stuff. And I thought, thought that were, those were, you know, my, 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 my attitude was, well, whatever gets them through the night is all right. It doesn't <laughs> matter. You know, it's, uh, uh, if that's going to help their process, fine, but it's irrelevant. And for some reason, it felt also as everything was very instinctual in this process, it felt that it was the right thing to do. Mm. It started to be not out of, of, of being secretive about my process and the screenplay, but it was such an intimate situation that it was, everything was coming out of my memory. Mm. That that's the reason I didn't share it with Guillermo or Alejandro or Carlos, my brother, who written a couple of my films, because I knew that they would, give, they would give me amazing comments of how to better the screenplay. Uh, but I didn't want to change the integrity of those moments that had come out of my memory. Mm. And they would have come with great ideas and solutions that I would be very seduced by. And uh, I, I also knew that if I start sending, giving the script to the, to the, uh, to the, to the crew, uh, they would just bring it down to earth and, uh, and become just a, a very um, mechanic work of getting the elements. Mm -hmm. While here with the crew was a process of digging into their own memories. With Eugenio Caballero, uh, it was, I mean, I would give them lists of the, of the requirements and the locations that we were looking for. And uh, then the rest of the work was talking with Guillermo about his own memories. So his own memories were a point of resu uh, uh, a, a, a resource for, 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 for the whole process. And then shooting in continuity is, is when it was clear that if they were not going to have the screenplay, it would be interesting. And I was going to work mostly with no actors. It, it was just going to be way more clear to allow them to flow with the film. And, uh, and I was surprised. I, at some point I thought that the experiment was just a waste of time, an ornament of my process. Uh, because, you know, if, if, if I had the, the stairs from downstairs to upstairs inside the house, uh, and I had several scenes of, of Cleo going up and down, and the normal thing that you do is if you have, you bunch all the day scenes and, and you just shoot them one after the other, you know, and you save a lot of time. Uh, but here we would do, her going down, and that's it. We will come back two weeks later to sh shoot her again, her going up, you know, according to the chronology of the, of the story. Mm -hmm. uh, but then there were moments in which this started to pay off. I mean, I don't want to say, to, to, to talk much about that because some people haven't seen the film. Um, all I have to say is that in the hospital scene, uh, uh, Jalitza didn't know what was going to happen. And her reaction is absolutely genuine, mm. you know, because she was uh, she was expecting something different, a different outcome. And then it was the confrontation with with life, 
You know, you in life you have expectations, and sometimes life fulfills your expectations, but so many other times uh, life just contradicts or crushes your expectations. Yeah. And uh, and I wanted that to be a I wanted to register those moments of truthfulness here. Um, actually, that brings up an, an important point, which is the casting of Yalitza Aparicio, um, who's just absolutely magnificent in the film. And can you talk about how you found her and what it was in her that you saw that made you want to cast her in this role? Well, I don't know if I found her because she's always been there. You know, okay. she was not lost. <laughs> uh, uh, the... <laughs> It, it, but it was, um, we met, we, I'm very lucky that we met. Uh, and what happened is that I was casting one of the people I love the most in my life. Uh, and I know her very, very well. Uh, so uh, there were certain, certain things in the specific of age that the casting people would have, but also, uh, I, would, I want this character to be Misteco Zapoteco or Zapoteco, that these two, two, two indigenous cultures uh, that, that live mostly in the, in, in, in the Oaxaca, Oaxaca area. And, they, uh, and Veracruz also. And, and what happened is that uh, I, I thought that it was going to be a bit difficult to go just so specific. So I, I open up the, the, the scope into, okay, let's do an indigenous woman. You know, and uh, we start looking for them in, in Mexico City. And it was very clear that a lot of people from, with that background that live in Mexico City, they had already a different quality. Mm. You know, they were uh, more cosmopolitan, more savvy in terms of uh, or, uh, in, in the urban aspect of it. And um, so we, we took finally the decision to start looking in Oaxaca. We started looking first in Oaxaca City, and it was a similar uh, situation. They, they, they were a bit more cosmopolitan. And then we, have, we had all these crews of, of, of uh, all these casting uh, crews going through from village to village in the mountains of Oaxaca, and uh, just meeting with all these women. And I was very lucky when... And they would, send, they would send me videos and I would do pre-selections of the people that I would like to meet. And when Jalitza, I met Jalitza, I was a bit frustrated because I thought I was not going to find Cleo. And this film without Cleo was not going to work. And it was one of those things that she came and the moment we start talking, mm. uh, for me, you start getting as a director very nervous that, oh my God, I hope that she says yes, you know, because you, you're afraid of losing her. Mm -hmm. uh, her. Her point of view, the story is very different because she didn't know who I was and she didn't want to go to the casting originally because she thought that it was some kind of, of human trafficking going on, you know? And uh, eventually I think her sister convinced her and, uh, and I was very lucky that she went to visit us in Mexico City. Uh, she checked my photographers in the internet and she said that she was very distrustful because I didn't look like the one in the photograph. Mm. And, uh, <laughs> but eventually we start talking and uh, we start hitting off. And uh, I, I, I told her that another important character was her best friend and co-worker. And I said, Who, um, who's your best friend? And she told me, oh, my best friend is this girl called Adela, uh, uh, Nancy. And, uh, and I said, do you, do you think that she could come and maybe she would be interested to doing this? And Nancy came to Mexico City and it was the dynamic between the two was perfect. And I think that having Nancy there also gave a lot of reassurance to, to Yalitza, mm -hmm. you know, that she was going to have, like, she was intrigued about for, for, she says that it was like all these crazy people calling me to Mexico City. It was her second trip to Mexico City in her life. And uh, uh, Jali, uh, Nancy has this phrase all the time uh, that, that says, life is a risk, you better take it. And that's what she, they kept on saying. You know, and that's, they, that's the reason they say that they, they accept doing the, 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 the film. And that's how I met her. But it was, I have to say by the third day, uh, Jalitza, who had never been in a movie, said she, she understood absolutely everything. Mm. You know, she would, uh, 
she would correct the continuity person. She would, uh, you know, she, she uh, it, it's just, uh, she, the, the thing with Yalitza is not only such a sensitive woman, is she so damn bright. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you give your actors any grounding in uh, anything from the period, from 71? Well, we, well what we did Beforehand, was a lot I mean. of conversation. I, I never block a scene in, in, as a group. I yeah. block everything individually. Yeah. I, had, I never talked to them in a group. With different actors, I had long conversations about their background, what they know, uh, their fears, uh, who they have better dynamic in terms of connections, who, uh, with whom they have a little bit more of conflict in the, in the, in the family circle. Um, and all of that was done in an individual way. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was, and uh, when, I, when we were uh, uh, blocking the scenes, what would happen is that I would also block everything individually. Um, and I would give, in early in the morning, I would give to whoever need, uh, was going to have uh, dialogue lines, very specific dialogue lines, I would give it to them. And the other ones, they wouldn't give, they, they, I wouldn't give the screenplay, but I would give them a, a specific instructions that most of those instructions were, were about disrupting the moments of the people who were going to have a dialogue. Mm. In other words, it was just to create a chaos. And the people disrupting, they didn't know they were disrupting, like in life. You know, if one person interrupts another one, it's not necessarily because you want to interrupt, it's just because something happened. And, uh, and that was a whole dynamic to create this chaos. That the funny thing is that the non-actors, they, they, they thought that that was the way that movies were always done. So they were natural about it. <laughs> uh, Marina, who's a trained actress, uh, a trained actor, she, she struggled the first couple of weeks Who because she was trying to control yeah. the process yeah. until she learned that it was better letting her, herself go. Mm-hmm. And, but it was, it was very stressful for her. Mm-hmm. Um, with, the, with the kids, a difficult thing was the slang, mm-hmm. you know, to, because the slang has changed so much. It's so funny because now there's a way, there's a word that everybody, all, every kid calls each other way. In my day, saying way was, it was a it was a curse. You 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 would never tell call everybody anybody way, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. It, it was like an ask, to say asshole, you know. And now everybody calls each other way, for instance, you know. And and it was and and because the the whole thing was trying not to put them in straight jackets, and the balance ha- was how much I I control their their slang. Mm. Um, you had said that. Uh... Emmanuel Lebeski Chivo was supposed to shoot this film, and then there was a there was a schedule conflict, and you you shot the film yourself. But that his spirit is very much you know a part of the film. But it seems like it was very important that you shot this particular film yourself. Am I am I correct? Yes, it was. Uh, I mean, I still think that probably with Chivo would have been much better, but um, the uh, a because also with Chivo, because of our, uh, we have such a telepathic communication and relationship, and uh, we come from the same background. We know each other for such a long time. We come from the same period. So everything was very clear. Uh, uh, well, we were start, well, because we prepped for a while together. Um, but besides Chivo, I, I could not think of anyone that I could have that also I trust in a way that I trust Chivo. Uh, that I could lend and, and lend all of this stuff. And also because there was no, nobody knew what we were going to do. It was so important. I, I, at the end, the fact that Chivo couldn't do it, that I was very anxious at the beginning, was for the best, as you say, because um, it just forced me to dig farther into, into, into memory. And... Uh, to be more present uh, in the making of those visuals. You know, uh, if I had, uh, because I, 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 I had conversations with great DPs uh, 
and, and two things happen is that once I was afraid of that they will have great ideas better than what I have in mind. And in this process, it was not about better ideas. It was about respecting the purity of that first impulse. And the other thing is that uh, because they were not Mexican, these DPs, uh, the communication was going to be in English. And I really wanted to be doing a film that is about something that is so primal in me, not having to speak in English, to, 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 to communicate in the set in my mother tongue. Mm. So, but Chivo's imprint is in the film. Uh, I mean, a couple of examples is that the decision of 65 happened through the process of preparation with Chivo. Originally, I wanted to shoot it in, in a square format, in academy format. Um, and Chivo convinced me there was a mistake uh, because of the same reason that I'm talking about with, uh, of not making, making it look like if it's an old movie. And, uh, and he was absolutely right. And once that we experimented with the 65, still Chivo being involved, I realized it, it dictated a lot of the language that was going to follow. You know, because you had more space for the actors to flow inside the frame. Mm -hmm. um, I just want to return briefly to the to the sound for a minute, um, which is I, the soundtrack to my ears sounds like so many sounds that you collated and probably found and built into the weave of the of the mix. Um, th that must have been an adventure in and of itself. Just all the sounds on the street, the sounds of the music, the sounds of conversation, um, absolutely everything in the, and the way that it all echoes. Yeah, that, that, it was a very complex situation and I'm very grateful with, with, uh, uh, with, with the sound cr crew. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, they, they did an amazing, amazing, amazing work. Uh, Skip and, 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 and Greg and, 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 and uh, but the, the thing is, um, it was so detailed, the amount of sounds that we had to, because it was not also the amount of different textures. Because when you are, the thing is that uh, we are never aware of how complex is sound around us. Because we have, as everything, we have very selective e uh, uh, sense of hearing. So right now, probably, uh, you're listening to, uh, audiences are listening to our conversation on, on aware of their conditioning and unaware of the traffic in the distance and so on. And here we wanted to wrap everything. Uh, you know, the, it was as if it's the existence that is wrapping around, is, is going around us. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and because of that, as the camera is moving, then the sound needs to be moving all the time. Um, uh, we did stuff that for some more purists is, 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 a, is a scene. Um, it's sacrilegious, that is to, to put sound, an important sound, in the surrounds. You know, because th there's this school of thought that is confusing, that takes people out of the screen. And, uh, but we went for it. You know, so everything is, is, is wrapped around you. And, and what, what ended up happening is that there were so many dynamics, just like the, the scene in the, in the ocean at the end. Each wave, that crosses the frame is an individual great a, a sound of the wave that goes from one place to the other. So, um, and you have to honor that wave that goes all the way to the left and starts coming back while a new wave is coming in. Mm -hmm. So it's, a, a, it's just to, to the, the amount of individual sounds to create all of this, the, the sea was immense. On top of that was the wind, the bird in the distance, the dialogue, the splashes, and so on. It, it was so much like that that when we finished the mix and it was sent to Dolby to configurate, they, uh, they called us back saying that the files were corrupted. And <laughs> uh, a post-supervisor uh, freaked out and said, what's going on? He says, well, it's the, the, the files are six times heavier than any file that we had ever received. And... Uh, and no, everything was fine. It was just the amount of detail it had. Mm -hmm. Look, I think that 
also, uh, these new technologies for sound, when I heard uh, Atmos for the first time, I know that Atmos is usually reserved for big tentpole movies and superhero movies and, and, and all of that stuff. But when I heard Atmos for the first time, I thought, oh my God, this is a perfect format for an intimate film. Mm. You know, uh, the immersive quality that you can have, that is not about loudness, it's about spread and detail. And, and that's what we, we were after, you know, we were, we were after this, this experience that is um, using all these big tools, but for what I believe should be used, you know, not, not necessarily for loudness. Mm. Um, one thing occurs to me that, so you, you shot in sequence, you had a hundred day shooting schedule, I think you told me. I think Over the, 110, yes. Yeah, the mix probably took quite some time, you did oh, not forever. show, yeah. <laughs> um, you did not show the, you know, the script to your actors, you described that. Um, could you have made the film in the same way? Could someone make a film in the same way in the United States? It would be very difficult, huh? Well, I, yeah, I guess, I, I mean, look, the, the, the important thing is, is that the, 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 for me, this process was important for that film, for this film. Sure. I, I don't know if I'm going to repeat this process in a different film. You know, this, this process was fundamental for this one. In the States, I guess that, yeah, some filmmakers, if they are really stubborn and, and a bit irresponsible, they can do it. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, Alejandro tends to shoot in continuity, mm -hmm. you know, as much as possible as in chronological, uh, chronological order. Uh, yeah, I guess that I, I don't see why not. You'd have to be really tough to do it, <laughs> to, to make it work, I think. And, and it would be more expensive, no? Uh, well, yeah, but think about this. This film was but like a fraction of the budget of gravity. Right. <laughs> no, it's true. And, 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 and I, I, yes, I got lucky after gravity is what the, the, the thing that Guillermo says about uh, kids eating the cereal because of the toy that is at the, at the bottom of the, uh, of the cereal. You eat the whole cereal for the, for the promise of that little toy. Mm -hmm. And some films are your cereal and that was gravity. And I had this toy that I could cash for. I had a chance to cash that, that little toy. And usually they offer you bigger movies, you know, bigger films and, and more budgets and stuff. And, and probably the, the, the smart move that I did is, as opposed to go there, I just went to do a way cheaper film, but in which I could use my resources mm -hmm. for the things that I wanted to use my resources for. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, I think that, I mean, I, I, I don't know if, I don't think it's a, a matter of nationality, yeah. you know, about if you cannot do it in the U.S. or, or, or because ultimately, think about this, my, my, my partners are participant, uh, participant media. Mm -hmm. uh, it's an American studio. And you're working with Netflix for to presenting. This. Yeah, but that, that was after. After the yes, fact. Once a yes, once after the fact. I mean, they, they came in once that the film was finished. Um, yesterday we, we talked about the fact that, um, you brought up the fact that the film, you were very conscious of making the film with the elements, earth, water, fire, and, and, and air. And, um, I wanted to just talk about that a little bit, how that's the, the flow of the film, the flow of life. Yeah. Uh, again, because. That was, I, and it's, it's different than other pros because Children of Men was a more intellectual approach. I really wanted to understand uh, the tendencies were, that were shaping the 21st century. Mm -hmm. and, uh, um, and it was, in, in many ways, it was more of an essay based upon the research I have done of, uh, of, of great thinkers that have, they were been expressing those concerns for the last decade like at, through, throughout the 90s into the early 2000s. And uh, so it was, in that sense, yes, it was a more cerebral film. In this one, I use, because it was about honoring this memory. Mm -hmm. 
and this memory in which I was following this specific character and that I didn't want to think with all my, my, my own judgment. But because of that, I wanted to honor, um, I wanted to honor life. I mean, because ulti ultimately the film, I don't, it's, uh, it's, it's almost like a kaleidoscope of, of situations in which what prevails is life. Um, and, and life that goes on, you know? Uh, I was also clear that because, and that was an instinct, that the film was about uh, existence as this loneliness, that if we are lucky, is loneliness that we share with others. Mm -hmm. But that ultimately as an ind individual, you're alone. So uh, because of that, uh, it was very important honoring all the, these other elements in existence, you know? Uh, and yes, there are some things that were more conscious, like uh, at the beginning, you're, you be, actually the, the image, it, it became uh, instinctively, the two images. Then later I understood, uh, or at least I made an interpretation of them because the film begins looking at the, at the earth, yes. looking at down at the earth, the camera is locked looking at the earth. And then, water passes through and through the water you see the reflection of the heaven yes. or the sky in which an airplane passes. Um, the end of the film is the camera looking straight up to the sky. Um, as several airplanes as if, pass. Uh, yeah. as, as several airplanes pass. As several airplanes yeah. passes, but yeah. now you're seeing the, the planes for, for real. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a reflection. Um, Water keeps on making its appearance throughout the whole film, mm. uh, and the water with its own reflections, um, uh, until at the end, uh, pretty much the climax of the film is is a fa is, is a family uh, inside the water, you know, mm. taking out from the water. Um, they, they, by the same token, you have the fire and you have uh, you have the wind and and and, and these other elements. I mean, it's not that they have a particular meaning, you know, or at least I don't, probably there is, I don't know. You know, I, I may have my own interpretations, but for me, what is important is, is the audience's approach to all of that. Mm. You know, it's a, I'm very, very touched when people talk about, uh, I, I bump into people that are very touched with the film. Uh, but, but the interesting thing is that the reasons that the, the film touched them uh, are very diverse. Mm. And I want to believe that is because they are filling the blanks with their own experience. Yeah, it's interesting what you were saying about just now about nationality, because the way that when Guillermo introduced the film, he brought it up within the context of uh, recreating these, these blocks that had been destroyed by the earthquake in Mexico City. How important, you know, um, it was that you, after Gravity, went back and made a film in, in Mexico City. And this was a film, by the way, that you wanted to make earlier, I think, after Children yes. of Men. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, and uh, yesterday, someone said that it reminded them of growing up in uh, Italy, I think. Yeah. Um, but that's just because it's a film that's about summoning memory, you know? Yeah, because I, I mean, I, I hope that the, that audiences have a more rather we're a, a bit too spoiled with the thing of 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 films telegraphing us what to think and what to feel. Yeah, you know, most of mainstream films that's what they do. Uh, uh, if you're going to make a political statement, it has to be an explicit political statement. You know, it's uh, that's uh, if you're going to uh, feel something, you have to cut to the close-up of the actor that is crying and reacting to what just happened. Mm -hmm. And here, the approach was different. It was if if the boy if the boyfriend is absolutely rude to Cleo and goes away, rather than coming back to see her reaction, to telegraph the emotion that Cleo is feeling, that for me is obvious, is you stay with the boyfriend. So it's not only that the reaction of Cleo is obvious, but now what has to be 
the emotional reaction is your own reaction. It's your own involvement with the scene. You know, rather than telegraphing uh, what to think or what to, or what to think or what to, uh, uh, what to feel. Same as when you, there's no much setup or, or explanation for the student demonstration. Uh, for me, I mean, I'm very clear about what happened there, but the, the mechanisms are a bit, a bit irrelevant for the film in the sense that, that those situations of, of, of human unfairness and cruelty are part of life as well. Mm. But same as, as, as immense acts of generosity are part of life. Mm. Um, speaking of immense acts of generosity, I, I want to thank you for doing this. I mean, I know that you're a little jet lagged and, you know, that's, you're in an undisclosed location, you know, doing this. Thanks to Netflix also for um, making the connection happen. Um, so it sounds so exciting, this non-disclosed location. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sounds so good. We should have put behind like a lot of like old papers, newspapers. Yeah. and yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. uh, thank you, Alfonso. Thank you very much. Hey, Ken, thank, thank you. you. Hey, hey, everybody in the audience, thank you so much. I know that maybe this was a bit awkward. And by the way, when I look at the screen, there's a huge delay. There you go. So I do like this. <laughs> and is now. Yeah. You see? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>